Last week we talked about this word. Do you remember that? Does anybody remember that? Why, why what? Oh, that's the word. You're right, it is the word. We talked about why because so many of our things in life are built on like, why? Why do you press through? Why do you keep coming? Why do you show up? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And, and if your why isn't big enough, sometimes it can be scary because you won't have the motivation to follow through. But you've got to figure out why that is. We talked about how important that why is. And if, you're, if your why has to be big enough to cover every one of the disappointments that you encounter in life. Because if you haven't lived very long and you haven't had very many disappointments, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but they're coming. How many have experienced that before? Life is like that. There are things where you, you don't expect it. Sometimes you see it coming, but then sometimes it's as, if, it's as if the whole ground falls out from under you. Have any of you seen those sinkholes that happen in different places? I mean, we've had some of them in Kansas City, but you know, Florida seems to be prone to that. And I saw one recently in L.A. where an entire car went through the, through the road where they'd had a water main break and the water just kept running underground and nobody knew it. And then all of a sudden, the car was sitting on the road, and the road just gave way. That person didn't think about that that day. I mean, who puts that on their insurance for me? What do you, what do you say? My car fell through the road. It just didn't even look right. It didn't even sound right. It doesn't sound possible. But many of us have had those types of experiences. I think about it like this. I don't know if you've ever had this happen where you've been running, and then something catches your foot, and you fall harder than normal. Do you know what I mean? It's different than just stumbling. It's as if... Literally, your feet are taken out and you hit the ground so hard. Life can be like that. There's things that you've, you've got to have a why to hold on to. And that why we talked about last week was love. It's God's love. His love is bigger and greater and, and more expansive than we can ever imagine. We sing about it. We just sang about it. We talk about it. We read about it. But it's one of those things where if you're not... In the, the place in life where you need it, it's almost like you can't fully realize how big it is and how important it is and how much you needed it. What amazes me is people who stumble through life and don't have that. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they go on. I was visiting Maggie at the hospital. Maggie Yates had her knee replaced. And somehow I got the wrong room number. Has anybody ever had this happen? And as I'm walking through, I see somebody in the room, and I just, I didn't recognize the person, but they were standing up, and I figured, well, maybe they're a friend or family member of Maggie's that I just don't know. So being me, I just waltz right on in there. Hey, how you guys? No, it's not Maggie in the bed. <laughs> and this lady, I was dressed up a little bit, and she said, are you here to help me? <laughs> she said, I'm really hurting today. And I said, I can't help you, but I know someone who can help you. So we talked for quite a while, and we talked about the love of God and how important that is. And they had been to church. I don't remember where they said they had gone to church, but we talked about the love of God and how important that is. It was kind of comical because I thought we were making this big connection. A few minutes later, she's like, so you're not a doctor? <laughs> and I no, I'm not. But can I pray with you? And they're like, oh, sure, we could pray. And, you know, I prayed with them. And I, and I remember walking out of there and thinking, she doesn't realize what I was offering her. She didn't get it. She missed it. And, and I understand how that is because a lot of times we're hurting and we grab onto what we think is going to work for us. And it's not always the answer we are looking for. 
What I was trying to explain to her is how important God's love is and how his love will walk us through things that you could never, ever, ever imagine. Let me, let me just do a little quiz here. What, looking back over the history of all time, what would you say is the greatest expression of God's love for us? Christ on the cross, right? That's like a no-brainer. Yeah, of course. It's the day Jesus died. I mean, you look at that and you see it as the greatest expression that God could ever give us of his love for us. I want to share with you, though, a thought about that. It's a thought that Soren Kierkegaard, he's a, he's a theologian who passed away many, many years ago, but he, he wrote this, and it's so true. And you may not realize this, but God's love for you is that intense every day. It wasn't like he loved you more that day. He loves you that much every single day, on your worst day, on your best day. Every day, he loves you that much. The measure of his love never changes. It doesn't change just because um, you're going through a hard time, but it feels like that sometimes. And it doesn't change just because you're having a great day. It doesn't change. The fact is, he loved you that much at every moment of your life, at every moment. Today, we're going to actually look at grace. Grace is one of those words which you hear a lot in church, And I think we've defined it a lot of different ways. Some people define it God's riches at Christ's expense, which is nice. It's good. It's a good way to look at it. But I want to define it a different way. I want us to look at a a story in the Bible where, unfortunately, grace was on limited supply. And, And what's weird about it is the person who is full of grace was right there. And the people who should have been giving grace should have known better. Actually, we're going to jump into this story. This, one, this story actually appears in a couple of the Gospels, but we're going to look at the version in the book of Mark. And, and you probably know this, that each of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even John, they all walked with Jesus or were eyewitnesses of somebody who had walked with Jesus. And they took these stories about Jesus' life, and they arranged them in certain ways to tell a certain story. If you read the first, my, my Bible reading uh, series that I'm in, the, the, first, the first chapter of Matthew was today, and, and it, I was reminded again. Matthew wrote, as a Jew, to Jews, to introduce Jesus as the king of the Jews. And he starts why he starts off his book with the whole lineage of, of Jesus and talks about Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David. And he goes into detail to talk about that. In the book of Mark, Mark is writing the memories of Peter, and that's why Mark is the shortest book, because you remember Peter's personality, he was always in a hurry. Remember? Sometimes stepping on his own feet and sometimes getting out ahead of himself and doing things that the other disciples probably looked at and like, oh, Peter, back off. Settle down. Slow down. But you can see it in his book. In fact, his, the book of Mark is actually almost half the size of the book of Luke because that's just who Mark was. And in this version of the story, Mark places the, the, the story we're really going to focus on right before that. Is, is that situation, that story with a couple of disciples there. They're almost, they're jockeying for position. They want to be important. Nobody else prone to that? You don't have to raise your hand because that could be embarrassing, I guess, to admit in front of this whole crowd. But we like being important, right? We like being recognized. We like people to know who we are. You, you want to walk in the room and be the authority on something or have somebody recognize you and notice you. And at this point, you know, Jesus had the 12 disciples who were closest to him. And evidently what was happening is they were trying to decide who was going to be more important when they got to heaven. And I know for us, you know, we look at it and we think, oh, how could you even do that? But you know what? They were normal guys and they were doing that. And Jesus corrects him, 
corrects them. And then when he corrects them, this is what he says. But among you, it will be different. And we, ex- we can expand that you, not just to the disciples, but to all of us as Christians. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of everyone else. I kind of looked up those words because in our culture today, slave's offensive. Offensive. And in the Greek, he uses both those words. Because they had those different levels of, of slavery and servant in their culture. It was all over the place. They expected when they walked into a house for a servant to wash their feet. They didn't do that kind of thing. That's why it was so significant at the Last Supper that Jesus did that. He's the one who knelt down and washed feet because that was the role of a servant. Jesus, he literally demonstrated that for them. So he's telling them this day, you need to be the servant. And if you're going to be first, you're going to be the slave of everyone else. (laughs) That had to sting. Can you imagine? Because they had just talked about who's going to be most important. And Jesus is saying, you got it wrong, guys. If you think you're going to be important, you need to serve. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And most of us understand that, servant leadership. We get that idea and that picture. And that should have been what was on these guys' mind at the time. That should have been what they were thinking. They, were, they should have been thinking, how can I serve everybody I'm around? Right? I mean, if you were corrected by Jesus, don't you think that would have changed you for a little bit? I mean, you know how it is if you, if you get scolded at work or, or maybe you, something happened and your wife, hey, pointed something out. And you're thinking about it. It's on your mind, right? And as they're walking along, you would have thought that they would have looked at the crowd and found everybody that they could serve. And I wonder why they stumbled so much on this. I wonder if it's because they thought the servant part only applied to people like them, like in their strata and class. Do you know what I mean? It's easy to serve people like me because they know I'm serving them, right? But if I have to stoop down, I hate even saying that, but you know what I mean. Every one of you know what I mean. And I have to serve someone under me. Maybe that's why they missed this next part because they didn't get it. That serving meant everybody, not just people like them. Maybe, maybe they got it wrong because they felt like it was only, they were only supposed to serve certain people. So here's what happens. Then they reached Jericho. So they're walking along. That, that other story might have happened on the road as they were walking. We don't know. But as they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed them. Let me stop right there for a minute. What do you think the disciples' role was in these travels? They had jobs. They were Jesus' disciples. It wasn't just them as observers watching him, but they were actually walking with him, doing ministry. At times, Jesus is sending them out to literally be the ones that pray and, and, and end up being the ones praying for healing and that kind of thing. We don't have examples of them teaching, but it does say that Jesus sent them to spread the gospel, which would have been them preaching, itinerant preachers also. So in this situation, I would imagine there's this large crowd. Jesus is trying to walk. Different people are probably trying to come up to him and talk to him, and they're probably doing crowd control. I, sometimes I think of them like, like his own secret service, you know? And they're like, hey, um, we got this, this situation. I mean, right? Maybe someone's running ahead trying to clear it out, and maybe someone's cart's in the way, and they're like, hey, you got to clear this out. Jesus is coming. There's a big crowd. Let's make a way. 
You ever notice that people who are doing that, they are important, but they, sometimes it, like, there's a sense of importance that they start to feel because they're with the man, right? <laughs> a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, anytime you see Bar, that's what that meant, son of, was sitting beside the road. When, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever done that game as a kid? I, I already know there's no one blind here. Have you ever done that game as a kid where you blindfold your friend and then guide him around? You ever done that? Ever, seriously. We've all done that, right? You probably imagined at some point what it would be like to be blind and, and navigate the world like that. Maybe you know somebody who's, who's blind. When I was in college, I had two guys on my floor who were blind, and it was, they were roommates. I was the RA, and they were, they were in my floor. I, I don't know why. I had two, two guys that were blind and two guys that were deaf, and it was, it was really fascinating to see the struggles, the similarities, and the differences between those two disabilities. I would have to say, though, if I had to choose, God forbid, I would, would not want to be blind. He, he didn't see anything. He heard things. And no doubt his sense of hearing was accentuated. And he could hear the commotion. He could hear the crowd coming. He probably heard it coming long before anybody else saw it. And he knew something was happening. And he probably heard stories about Jesus. And he knew that Jesus might be the one that could heal him and let him see and be like everybody else. We've mentioned in this in here before, but... Being handicapped like this in this culture was different than in our culture. In our culture, we, tr- we try as best we can to help people like that. And we do whatever we can to make their life easier and, and help them achieve and help them be as much as part of normal society as possible. That's not how this culture treated them. In this culture, they were outcasts and, and looked down upon. And people even assumed that that the reason for their disability was probably something morally wrong with them or their parents. I mean, it was a really weird way to look at disability. And he's shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And if you were part of the disciple group and you had just heard about being the servant of all, wouldn't he be one of the all? Wouldn't he be somebody that you would think that they would have learned to serve and ran to serve? Wouldn't you think that they would have looked at the crowd and recognized, here's somebody that needs Jesus more than anybody else? And we don't know what the rest of the crowd was. We, we don't know. All we know is that this guy is blind and he's crying out for someone to help him and take him to Jesus. Because it would have been difficult enough to get to Jesus. You know the other stories, like the lady with the, the issue of blood, and it says that she struggles through the crowd, and she says to herself, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, and he touches it, she touches it, I'm sorry, and Jesus feels the healing power go out of him and says, who touched me? And the disciples say, what are you talking about? There's so many people around. How can you tell who touched me? How would a blind guy navigate that? How would he get to Jesus? I mean, at some point, even if he got into the middle of the crowd, the cacophony of the voices and the, and the struggles and the steps and everybody pushing and hustling and bustling and trying to get close to Jesus, he would have never got there. How would he even have gotten his attention over the crowd? And shouldn't the disciples have been the first ones to stop and say, let me serve you and take you to Jesus? And look what happens. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him. Be quiet. You're embarrassing us. 
I wonder about this. When I read that, I wonder, how did that go in that town? Was he like the one in town where when guests came, you ushered them around him and tried to avoid that street or corner he was on? Or maybe as you're walking down the street, you see him there and you think, oh, he's going to ask me for money again. I'm going to go real quiet and see if I can sneak by him. But he only shouted louder. Have you noticed that about some people? They're asking for help the wrong way, and it rubs you wrong because they're asking the wrong way. And then when you ignore them or tell them to be quiet, they just do it louder. And Jesus heard him. He stopped, and he said, tell him to come here. Then I love the, the, the switch, the switch of the people here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Now we're friends. Now I'm going to serve you. Now I'm going to serve you because the masters noticed you. Now it's all in public, so now I'm going to serve you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, and he jumped up, and he came to Jesus. That, that line right there, you know, the Gospels are chocked full of eyewitness details that would not be in there if people are making these stories up later in time. They just wouldn't have been in there this way. These are eyewitness stories and examples and details that only an eyewitness would have noticed who's writing this down. You know what that tells us? The disciples saw this guy. They saw him throw his coat, and they didn't serve him ahead of time. And Bartimaeus threw his coat aside and jumped up, and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And he says, my rabbi. I wonder when he said that, if some people said, wait a minute, he's not your rabbi, he's my rabbi. In the Greek, or the, it, it, this is one of those words which actually, um, in the New Testament, there's a few words that are actually in Aramaic, which would have been the common language. It says Rabboni. You might have heard that before because that's what, I think it was Mary Magdalene called Jesus at the tomb. That was a term of, it wasn't just like teacher, my teacher. I bet you that some of the, maybe even those disciples thought, what? He's not your teacher, he's my teacher. I'm one of the 12. You're one of the outsiders. You don't belong up in here. My rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Let me ask you a question right there. If you had been blind, even for a little while, but we don't know how long this man, particular man, was blind. But let's say you've been blind a long time. Let's say most of your life. What would you have done when you could see? <laughs> I'd have been like, whoa, look at this world. I've been running all over the place seeing things. But he followed Jesus. Where was the grace that day? Where was it? Why, why did it work out that way? I, I wonder about that, and I look at that, and I think, why wasn't it extended to Bartimaeus? Why didn't he get it? Did people just think he wasn't worthy of grace? The same grace that they have received? I mean, wh- why not? And I've thought about it a lot, and I, I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody. I'm just trying to find reasons that why wouldn't the people following Jesus, who themselves had received grace, not then extended that grace to him? Why wouldn't they have put him first? Jesus had just scolded them about that. I mean, I don't know how many times it takes you to learn a lesson. For me, it takes a while, all right? So I do have a little bit of grace for those disciples because I'm probably as hard-headed, if not worse, than them. But I wonder about it. I wonder if it's because they themselves weren't quite ready to receive grace. Even though they had heard it, 
Maybe because they were still stinging from the reproach they had just received, or maybe they themselves were still at a place where they couldn't fully receive the grace that Jesus was offering them. Have you noticed that sometimes? That it's difficult for us to receive grace? That old line that hurt people hurt people? I wonder if they themselves felt like they didn't deserve grace, so they weren't yet ready to extend it to everybody on the road. I wonder if it was because, like we said before, maybe they were kind of caught up in the titles. And grace went to the disciples and maybe the city elders, but not to the beggars. Maybe maybe they really liked being the ones who decided who got the grace. If indeed they were the crowd control, which I'm sure they were, and they ushered certain people into Jesus' presence, because we see that in Scripture a lot where they... They keep the children away. Then Jesus says, let the children. Another point, they, they bring a woman to Jesus, a Syrophoenician woman. I mean, they're the ones, kind of the gatekeepers on who gets to Jesus. Certain pride and power in that. Have you noticed? Even subtly, if you decide who's worthy and who's not, I wonder, I wonder if it had something to do with that popular theology of the day. Because they really did believe that people born with a disability It was a result of either their sin or their parents' sin. We see that illustrated in John chapter 9. And Jesus says, guys, you're asking the wrong question. Let me show you the power of God. And maybe the disciples were thinking that this guy didn't deserve grace. I know that that bends our blows our minds because we know Jesus gives grace to everybody and everybody freely. And we've read the whole Bible and we know all the New Testament. We know all of Jesus' teaching. We know that he says, whosoever will may come. But, But maybe they didn't get that yet. And maybe they just weren't ready to let everybody in. I don't know. I wonder about this. I wonder if it's because, maybe it's this isn't you, but maybe it's like this. And, and maybe it's totally, maybe I'm misreading the whole thing. And maybe you struggle with this. Maybe for you, it's exactly the opposite, that you can give grace to anyone, but you yourself struggle with receiving it. Maybe for you, you're, you're completely the opposite of everything I've described so far. <clears throat> and you can see how God extends grace to everyone and you serve everybody. But you yourself walk around in a state Without grace, because you know you, and you know you're not worthy. And when it's all quiet and no one's talking, you know that you are not worthy of giving, or pardon me, of receiving grace. It's like there's a perception gap. Your own worth is in question, and because of that, you don't fully receive the grace. Maybe you've been raised in a tradition where grace has to be earned. And you have to do certain things and, and you have to work really hard to get, get back into good graces. Maybe you were raised in a home where, where mistakes and, and, and sins, little and big, were never really completely forgiven. And when things go wrong, that was thrown back in your face again. Well, I know who you really are because you lied. Or you failed. Or you stole. Or you... You are the one that broke this, and you're going to always be like that. Sad sometimes how a a family can be a place of grace, or it can be a place that withholds grace. Maybe for you, as you're walking through life, and somebody tries to compliment or 
give you grace and it makes you feel inside kind of panicky and you're like, I don't deserve this. You give it, but you don't receive it. Because inside, there's a deep place where you don't feel worthy of it. And a lot of times, if you're that way, you run and you hide and you get busy and you medicate or numb yourself because you're not ready to completely receive it yourself. Funny, because Bartimaeus' need was really obvious, wasn't it? Everybody knew he needed grace, and they didn't give it to him. But everybody knew he needed it. But here's the truth that's bigger than all of that. Actually, more real than the blindness that he had physically is the spiritual blindness that every single person in that crowd carried around. That was actually as real, if not more real, than his physical blindness. Because if you've ever known somebody with a disability like that, I was always amazed at those two guys on my floor. When they walked down the hall, there was no hesitation. There was no, they didn't walk like this. They walked confidently in their disability. But it was obvious. But everyone else, every one of us, actually are walking around with a level of spiritual blindness that we try to hide, and we hide it so well. We, some of us hide it with humor, some by being a tough guy, some just working really hard and being busy all the time. And with the rise of electronics, some people lose themselves in an in a electronic tool and find more peace there than they do with the people right in the room. But if somehow we could slow down and walk and break through those barriers. I wonder sometimes if fear is what keeps people from receiving, fully receiving that grace. If they're afraid that somehow at some level they'll be exposed and what they've held hidden that's not completely, they don't feel forgiven for. Even though Christ has paid the price and he's offered forgiveness, they haven't let that go, that guilt of that thing. Maybe it's a fear that they'll be judged or won't fit in completely if, you let, if they let you know who the real them is. It's almost like we put on an armor that protects what a little dignity we're trying to hide and all this about fake news or fake confidence and fake bravado and fake personality. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to let that go and to let people actually in and love us. He wants you to let that go and let you, have you let him in and love you and completely, completely forgive. I heard this not too long ago. I was at a little seminar on counseling and it, it, was, it was really interesting. He said, anytime you ask somebody how they're doing, what do they always say? I'm fine. <laughs> this guy, he said, he goes, sadly, for a lot of people, fine, what fine really means is freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> Now I can't help but think of that. Anytime somebody says I'm fine, I'm like, okay, you're freaked out, <laughs> insecure, neurotic, and emotional. You know, and then <laughs> we can all laugh at that because that's us, isn't it? What if, what if somebody was honest and told you the truth? If they told you the truth, would you do what they did to Bartimaeus and say, shh, quiet, quiet, you're embarrassing me? Would you say, let me find somebody who can help you with that? Would you, be, would you mind being identified with them? Would you sit down with the blind man? Would you... 
put your arm around him and say, let me show you the grace that I have received and let me take you right to Jesus. I mean, why did he have to yell? Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew he needed healing. Everybody knew who the healer was, but they kept him away from him. The disciples should have been the first ones there. The fact is, they should have been grace in action. They should have taken the grace that was given them and literally been the ones to extend it to him. And they didn't do it. That should have been the thing that motivated them. He needed that. He needed that. And if you want another why, that's a why that should animate and drive your life because you have been given grace, then you can't help but give it to everybody else around you. You can't help it. Every single person needs to know that they're, feel, that they're seen and heard and valued, just like you need it deep within. And if you have trouble accepting that, my prayer for you today is that you yourself would accept it and then you yourself would extend it to everyone around you. Again, you know, so many times we, we feel like, oh, that's only for important people or perfect people or people without mistakes or people who are better than me. And the fact is, that grace is extended to every one of us. And there's no reason for you to hide behind any of that. No reason at all. Paul addresses this in specific reference. He's talking about this. It's, it's a weird passage of scripture because he, he's talking about how he wanted relief from something. He calls it a thorn in his flesh, and he needed relief from it. And he went to God, and the Bible says he asked three times for relief. Three times. This is Paul. It's not me. Paul. And you would think that Paul would get what he wanted on the first time, right? But he asked for this three times. And, and, and he says this, each time, talking about God, said to him, my grace is all you need. If I could have the worship team kind of make their way up here. I want to stop on that line. Paul is asking for one thing that he really thinks he needs. And then God says to him, you really don't need that. You need my grace. And it's all you need. I've, I've pondered this for so long. And people have all these debates about what the thorn was. It was actually like a literal thorn. I mean, some early writers thought that he had an eye condition where his eye, one of his eyelashes pulled, or his eyelashes would turn in and be a thorn in his eye because we knew he had eye problems of some kind from church history. Don't know. Some people think that um, the thorn was actually the, the Jews who followed him from place to place and continually stirred up the crowd and he would then be beaten or jailed or, and that would be a thorn, right? Don't get caught in a thorn. Think of this, though. If you're sitting here today and you struggle with accepting grace, Jesus says, my grace is all you need. All you need. All you need. And my power works best in weakness, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And then Paul goes on to say, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's hard to understand, isn't it? Because we think strength is being, being, being perfect and having no issues. And what he's saying here is, actually, we all have issues and what we need is grace. Grace. 
Now, this goes against everything probably that you think, but vulnerability is actually strength. And when you're truly honest about your vulnerability and you accept his grace for you, then you're actually in a more healthy place to help other people and extend grace to them. The thing is, people can relate to you better when they see that you've, you've walked through or you're walking through issues. It's funny, you know, I think about Bartimaeus and uh, his issues were obvious. But ours, we carry around so many that aren't so obvious. What I want to challenge you to do is do, do what Bartimaeus did. You realize when he was standing there, he heard the commotion and he may have heard some voices he recognized, but with that huge crowd, he probably had no idea who was standing there. I, I, I know I'm an outgoing person, but at the same time, I'm a private person and I don't like to put every issue I have out on display. Amen, that's right. And if I was Bartimaeus, uh, to be honest with you, I probably would have thought, I want to call out but I'm embarrassed because I don't want everybody to hear me. But they already know I'm blind, but I still don't want to be the center of attention, not for that. I don't want to just put it on display, say, here's my issue, my problem. But you know what? I think what happened with Bartimaeus is got to the point where he didn't care. Don't know, don't care. I'm calling out to Jesus. Nobody's coming to help me. Nobody's grabbing my arm and saying, let me take you to Jesus. So what am I going to do? I'm going to call out to him on my own and say, I need you today. I need you. I want to challenge you to do that. Regardless of what it is, don't know, don't care, and call out to him. No matter who else hears, come to him if you're the only one. If you have to look a little foolish, isn't that worth getting healed and having him relieve whatever it is? Life together is messy. Have you noticed that? If you're really going to help people and walk through life with people, it's, it's not always like super clean. It's not like, you know, take an aspirin, call me in the morning. And I'm not saying that, that I have every answer. I don't. But I know who does. It's kind of like that lady in the hospital room. I can't personally, she's like, so you're not a doctor? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just laughed. I can't help it. I just laugh. I was like, no. But I know the doctor. I know the real doctor, the one who actually can, can walk you through everything and, and who can give you grace. Even in the middle of a storm and you walking around with a thorn, I know that doctor. How does that work? You may be sitting here, well, Pastor Dennis, can you get to it? How does that help? What do I need to do? Some of your help can start right here at the altar today. Some of that can start right here. For some of you, it will be done here. That we will pray with you and God will heal and intervene and it is done. For some of you, it's a matter of you, you need to confess between you and him and tell him what you need. For some of you, the Bible talks about us confessing to a friend, a trusted friend, for some of you, you need accountability and you need to walk in life accountability with someone. For some of you, someone here, you need to take advantage of this connect groups that we have at the church. You need to part of, be part of a group who knows you and cares about you and does life together. <clears throat> We're looking to start a couple of other groups and I, as we talk about these, I want you to be involved in them because they're awesome. We have, a, we have a, a group here that I pointed over there because their classroom's over there. They meet every Sunday morning and 
and, and it's, a, it's a recovery group for those who are grieving called Grief Share. It's an amazing program. My, parent, my, my little sister died seven, eight years ago. My parents go to that group at their church, and it's been so helpful. My mom was talking to me not too long ago, and she, she hasn't been for a little while, and she just said, I need to go back. I just, I don't know why, but I'm just, I'm sad again, and I need to go back. I said, Mom, go. Go. Go get healing. <laughs> Some of you need to get marriage counseling. You know you need it. And one or the other of you are resistant to it, but you need that. It's okay to say, I need help. Would you stand with me for a minute? Why? Why? Because you're loved. How can you accept God's grace? Because you're loved and he gives you that grace freely. Could I have board members, wives, prayer team wives, husbands? Come on down for a minute. We want to pray with you about anything. doesn't mean if you come down, you've got a thorn in the flesh or whatever. I know somebody already talked to me today. They need to come down and want prayer specifically for healing. And I encourage you to come. Here's why. Because we serve a God who wants to meet your needs, every one of those needs. And he wants to extend grace to you upon grace so that you can not only receive it and be fully realized in that grace, but then you can extend that to others. You'll be healed and at a place where you can extend grace. So as the worship team leads us, I just want us to pray together. And if you're there and you're sitting there today and you're like, I'm good, 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 I'm glad you're good. Pray for us. Pray for everybody. So come on down. Let's just receive some healing today.